today it is uh, Palm Sunday as we celebrate that great event when Jesus rode into Jerusalem to start the, this holy week towards Passover um, in which uh, he knew that he was going to give his life up for us. Um, and yet we know that it starts out with this glorious scene of, of um, uh, his disciples and his followers um, uh, celebrating as he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey uh, in a sign of humility, in a sign of, of um, lowliness, and yet they missed that. And, and, and so the people raised up their branches and glorified him and lifted him up, which he does deserve that. Um, and, and yet through that week that he went on, he continued to, to share with them that this is not a preparation for my glorification and lifting up, but I am preparing to give myself. And so he began to try and show them that the glory of being lifted up does not come uh, through a rising of yourself, but from a giving of yourself, a dying to yourself. And, and so we have been preparing ourselves uh, for this time by the words of Jesus that he has been telling his disciples the whole time about we have got to begin to battle against this... Uh, ultimate uh, chain and slavery that we face, which is ourself. And they didn't understand that. Uh, they just continued uh, to look forward. They, 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 they thought Jesus was going to come and set them free uh, physically and, and defeat the Romans. And yet he was over and over trying to tell them, you need to unself yourself. You need to let go of those dreams and those desires because there's something bigger at stake. Um, and so we come today to the next lesson that, that Jesus brings us on how to unself ourselves, and, and the model that he gives us of what it looks like to truly unself your life, to begin to uh, be free from the striving of status, of name, of being noticed by others, of, of pursuing your own dreams, of thinking, I have to have this and I have to have this, but, but yet not seeing the true needs that we have in our life. And Jesus is showing us that until we begin to free ourselves uh, from this focus on self and felt needs, we never experience what we truly need and desire uh, in the core of our being, which means much more than just the temporary physical needs that we enjoy, those pleasures that, that um, uh, bring such joy for a very short time, and yet they leave us empty and broken um, and unfulfilled. And so today, at the end of this week, um, we find Jesus, um, after leaving the Lord's Supper, which we looked at last week, um, we know that he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this was a place that, that they uh, uh, went to uh, all the time with his disciples, a place of rest and relaxation and, and uh, fellowship together. Um, it was just right across the valley from Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives um, in a uh, place of peacefulness, and, and it was just kind of a retreat that they could get away each night and just kind of decompress together. But we pick up the story in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. And this is what it says. It says, And coming out... 
He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and he prayed. And he said, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel prepared, appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became even like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. We see this great picture of the agony of Jesus right before uh, his arrest and his betrayal. Um, as he is going to be turned over uh, to the Pharisees and the priests who had longed for his killing uh, for these full three years that he has been in ministry. And Jesus knew what was coming. And so we get this picture of, of great distress. He was in agony, it says, um, because he, he, he knew what was coming. Um, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, where it describes the same uh, event, uh, it says that he was sorrowful even unto death. He was so upset that he felt like he was going to die. Um, have you ever felt that way? You know what? You know what's coming up, or, or you're in a circumstance that you just cannot solve, and there is such a just an agony, you can almost describe it, it's not a physical pain, but the, the mental anguish, the worry, the anxiety, and you feel like you're going to die. That is what Jesus felt. Jesus, and this is such a, a great um, uh, comfort, and this is why it says in Hebrews that we don't have a God who doesn't understand us. We have a God who knows when we go through those things. Jesus, he felt this. It said he, he, he was so uh, anxious and, and, and upset and agonizing that he was sweating, sweating so much that it was just dropping off of him like blood. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that he was bleeding, and I don't think that he was. Many people will say that he actually became uh, uh, this, this um, uh, a circumstance where you bleed. It may have been, but it says that his sweat was just so profuse that it was as if he had an open wound and was just bleeding. He was so um, worked up. Um, and so because of that experience, he knows when we feel that way. What a great um, comfort because there's times when I am like that and it's like you can't even escape. It feels like there's nowhere even to go, but yet you can call on the name of the Lord and know that he is with you. He doesn't condemn us when we feel that way, when we doubt, when we are so uh, 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 sorrowful, whether it's in mourning or, or grief or, or worry. He knows how we feel. And look what he says. He says, God, if there is any other way, he pleads with God. I think we've been there where we plead with God. God, 
why do I have to go through this? I don't even know if I can make it through. God, is there any other way? And this is what Jesus is doing. We see the full humanity of Jesus. Even though he was God, he had set aside uh, his divine um, right and functioned fully in his human emotions and and experience. Um, And so uh, we see that that he understands that. He He understands when we plead with God. Uh, because he's been there. He himself pled with God. God, if there's any other way, take this. Um, Father, please, whatever you can do. Um, And yet, here's what we don't understand. Even though he understands our feeling, he went beyond that. Because here's the thing. His fear and his anxiety was not one of the physical fear. He did not fear the cross. His his, um, uh, sorrow and his anxiety was not about the torture he was about to face. Now, that's bad enough. Now, I would be worried about that. Knowing if tomorrow I'm going to face torture, that would would tear me up. I'd be so sick to my stomach. We'd be worried. I don't want to do this. I don't want to face that. How many have felt that way just going into a surgery? Or knowing, for some of us, here we go, knowing that you're going to have to get a shot. We don't even like needles, and and it it just works us up so much that we are so anxious and nervous um, that it's crazy. And yet, that's not what he was nervous about, because here's what he knew. He was not only going to face the cup of the wrath of man, um, because a lot of people have faced the wrath of man. I mean, we see his own disciples later on in their life. They, many of them, went to terrible deaths and didn't blink an eye. Uh, We see uh, uh, prophets of old that were martyred, that were tortured. And you know what? Stoically, for the sake of God, they were able to do that. So why was Jesus not able to do that? Why did Jesus show way more weakness, apparently, than even his own disciples or many that have been martyred for him over the years. Because here's the thing. Um, He was not facing the wrath of man, but he was about to face the full wrath of God. You see, this is the thing. Without Jesus, we would have to face that also. And when we don't have Jesus, there is a fear of death. There is a a fear that uh, uh, can overcome us that, that we have no power over. But Jesus was about to face the full wrath of God, and it was the wrath for every one of us. He was about to face the judgment for each one of our shame, for every sin that we have committed, that we regret, uh, that we try and forget, and even worse things that other people have done. He was about to face the wrath of God. He was about to take separation Um, uh, from God himself and endure that so that we would not have to face that wrath ever again, that we don't have to worry about that. And and so we can imagine what he felt because he wasn't worried about just the physical pain, but he was in full understanding of what it was going to be between him and God, that he was going to become a reproach to God, that God was going to turn away from him And that broke his heart. That was the fear that he did not want to have to face. And listen to this. This experience in the Garden of Eden was only the anticipation of it. This was not even the experience of it. And so if the anticipation 
of taking on the wrath of God was this heavy upon Jesus, can you imagine what the actual experience is? I mean, we get worked over at the anticipation of something uh, like a shot or a surgery, and then we come out on the other side and we said, oh, was that it? The anticipation many times is, is much worse than what the actual experience is, and yet Jesus faced an experience that was much worse than the anticipation. And, and so we see that Jesus um, uh, experiences this and yet, it says that God sent an angel to strengthen him. Now, I think the purpose of this is, first of all, uh, to, to encourage Jesus, that God um, uh, is always there when we are going through these times. God will always make a way, um, and, and it was the same with Jesus. But I think this, this brings a reminder to us, when another time did this happen? And when we open this series... We started in the first instance where Jesus was ministered to by angels to strengthen him. And it was in the wilderness when he was being tempted. And if you remember that as he was tempted, um, uh, Satan truly uh, touched the desires of his heart. We know that Jesus truly was tempted. Um, uh, that his desire was to accomplish those things. And yet he submitted his desire to God. In that great response that I will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and so we see that at the end of that temptation, that Satan, it says, left him for a more opportune time. Well, now we come to the end, and this is the opportune time that Satan comes again to tempt Jesus. So not only is he agonizing over the anticipation of what is going to happen, I believe and, and we know that Satan entered in at this time to tempt Jesus, uh, to once again come before him. And what was the temptation? The temptation was to not go to the cross. The temptation is, Jesus, there's another, we can find another way. And, and so we know that within him, this is part of the pleading within him, God, is there another way? Is there another way? And, and the temptation was um, to do it yourself, that you can do this. We know that you could um, uh, step in and just be God. Take on that mantle right now. And yet, just as he did in the first time, it was because he had learned the power of being unselfed, Jesus was able to respond with this way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, that is the ultimate modeling of what it means to unself yourself. Just as he did in the wilderness of temptation, now that he is in the wilderness of, of anxiety and suffering, going to the cross, he is still able to say, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, you see, Jesus was only able to accomplish something that was marvelous and great and thank God he did that brought the salvation to each one of us, a opportunity and a hope to the whole world. But it only happened because he was able to unself himself. He was able to, to conquer the desires of self. And so he resolved to drink the cup. When he rose up from prayer, he resolved to do it. We see in John, John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 10.
We know that when he came up out of prayer that they were there to, to arrest him. Uh, we know the story that the, the disciples jumped up to defend him. Uh, but listen to the words of Jesus. He says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. But then Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. And look what he says. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? You see, he rises up with this resolve that God has desired this for me. And if God has given this to me, who am I to refuse it? No, I don't want it. And I pleaded for him. But you know what? If my father gives it to me, then how will I not drink this cup? And so we see the resolve that comes from knowing that I'm not living for myself, but that I am that I am submitted to the will of God because I trust that the will of God is better than my will. Um, all those things that we have talked about over the last few weeks about uh, lowering ourselves and submitting ourselves to God is what brings us uh, to that place where God can accomplish the ultimate purpose that He has. For us. Now, when he says this, that I will drink the cup of my father, it is not a, a simple resignation. Well, I might as well do it because I can't get out of it. See, that's not what Jesus is saying. Um, he's not saying, well, okay, God, this is what you've given me, and there's no way for me to get out of it, so I might as well go through it. Many times that's how we submit to God, and that's really not submitting to God. Many times we just kind of, you know, buck up and, you know, Stiff upper lip and let's just make it through because that's my, the, the, the journey that my life has brought me. There's always a choice. You need to understand that, that, that we can um, go another way. Now, there's going to be a consequence because it's going to take us to a different destination. And sooner or later, God is going to have his plan uh, happen, uh, but we will miss out on it. We know that Jesus, he was not just resigned to this part of his journey uh, because that's what God had given him, because he tells us that he could have escaped this cup. He could have stepped away from it. And if we look in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, uh, which also uh, talks about this same uh, incident, this is what Jesus says. Again, um, uh, it says, Suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew out his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But again, this expands on what Jesus said. Jesus said, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? But how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? You see, Jesus says, I could get out of this. I'm not just resigned to the path that God has given me, like it's some predestined thing that, that happens to me. He says, don't you know, I'm making a choice. If I wanted to right now, I could pray and God would send me 12 legions of angels that no one could stand against. And I could establish a physical kingdom on this earth. I could take over and throw down uh, the powers of Rome and anyone else. But he says this, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? How then would God's plan, 
which is bigger than what I have to go through. How would it, that happen? And so he submits his will to the will of God. And we need to understand that it's the same way with us. We're not just resigned to just go through life and whatever comes, that's just my lot in life. God is asking us to step up and not just resign to it, but to resolve to embrace it, to submit to it, to seek it. That's why Jesus says, your will be done. I desire it. Do we desire God's will? Do we just give in to it or do we actually seek it? Do, are we willing to so unself ourselves that it is not about me, God, it is about you, that we are willing to choose the path that brings the fruit that God desires in our life? See, here's the problem. Many times we don't understand the fruit that God's trying to grow in us, and yet we've got to just trust him. We've got to just trust that there's a fruit, that there's a harvest that God wants to bring in our life that is greater than what we could ever achieve on our own. Because it is something that does more. But here's the thing. To embrace the cup that God has for us. And, and God has a cup for each one of us. I'm telling you, God has something for each one of us that, that is a cup. It is hard. The will of God is not always easy. There are some easy times that we go through that God blesses us. But I'm telling you, uh, when we say your will be done, it's going to be hard. It's hard to drink the cup of God. Jesus knew that it was hard, but he resolved himself. And for us, it's hard to drink the cup of God because here's the thing. It's hard to forgive someone that hurts us. It's hard to look foolish because we take a stand for God. It's hard to give up friends because we choose to serve God and not the path of pleasure and comfort. It's hard sometimes to stay in the marriage that we find ourselves in, but we know that God's will is greater. It's hard for us to submit our sexual life to him. There's many in this world today that, that would say, well, I'm, like, I'm just like that. Okay, well, that's fine, but are you willing to submit that knowing that God's will is greater than what you feel and who you are? It's hard to miss out on what others are doing. It's hard to deny your desires because it's hard to accept the will of God. But I'm telling you, when you trust God and you do say, God, it's not what I think about it because I don't understand. In fact, God, I might disagree with you and I don't think you're right on this, but nevertheless, thy will be done. You see, it's, it's in that point of faith doesn't have to be agreement or always uh, full belief there can be doubts in there but it is the choice of faith that nevertheless your will be done that we see a harvest we see a a, a just a a fruit of joy and life that we cannot even uh, imagine and we know that Jesus because of that when he rose which we're going to talk about next Sunday he received a harvest of lives, of family, of those that were brought back into the fold of God, that were saved. The joy of knowing that um, uh, those he loved were now safe. That made everything worthwhile. 
But how was he able to make that choice? I want to just close with these three things that we see through this passage. The reason he was able to unself himself and make that, that declaration of not my will but thine be done and then embrace it and then walk it, not in resignation but in, in boldness and, and in resolve to see it through is because he had prepared his heart. And I think if we are going to truly walk the will of God and drink the cup and then bear the fruit and see a harvest, we've got to prepare our hearts. The first thing we see is that Jesus had a heart of worship. He had a driving passion to bring glory to God. Everything he did was, was, was about lifting God up. You see, that's, that is the basis of everything he did because his heart was so focused on glorifying God because he knew who God was, that God was worth it, that God was beautiful than, more beautiful than anything in this world. There's no pleasure in this world that is greater uh, than the beauty of God from the experience of God. Uh, we see again in John, uh, John chapter 12, uh, verse 27. Um, I love this. this. This gives a picture of his heart, um, uh, where, his, where his values were, where his treasure is. And, and I think this is key. If we don't prepare our heart and begin to truly examine what are we treasuring in our heart and where our treasure is, um, then we will always battle and, and have a hard time making uh, those decisions when they come our way. But in John 12, 27, he says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? You see, he felt that, and that's what his desire was. But look what his response was. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He, he says, I've come to this point for one reason, to glorify God. So how can I not go through with it? Because then you would not be glorified. And it is more important to me than you be glorified than it is for me to be saved. You see, me to escape suffering is not worth the possibility that God would not be glorified. And, and so we see um, that uh, there was a greater fear in his heart for God not to be glorified than there was for him to lose out. Hey, if I lose out, and I think we miss this. Come on, people. If we miss out on one experience, if, if we don't get our kids into the best schools or onto the best teams or they don't get to play these sports, why do we think that's the most important thing in life when someday their soul is going to be required for them? We need to start saying... For God to be glorified in my life and in my family is way more important than anything that I might gain by putting him be in second place. And Jesus had this heart. This was his heart of worship, his passion to glorify God. And here's the thing. The only way that we are going to be free from the grip of ourself, the striving of always wanting more, never having enough, the only way that we can free ourselves from that grip of self is to be gripped by something bigger than ourself. In other words, we need to get a bigger view of God. Have you begun to understand who God really is? 
Have you begun to let the Holy Spirit come into your heart and reveal his heart to you? That he has more love for you. He has a bigger plan for you. He has more compassion and purpose and, and giftings for you than you could ever accomplish on your own. And when we begin to realize that, when we begin to see that, then all the suffering or sacrifices that may take or come our way are, are nothing. It's easy to step over that. You know why? It, it, it's easy to pay the price for that car or for that house that we have longed for. When it comes to that point, boy, we sign a mortgage where there, we are, can hardly afford that, and yet we do it gladly. Well, why are we able to sacrifice for those things? Because those are treasures in our heart. When we begin to, begin to see God as that treasure, then I'll sign over all the things of life, sports, music, art, family, food. What is that to my life compared to this treasure that I could have in God? And so we need to begin to have a heart that, that sees God as ultimately satisfying and, and the ultimate in, in beauty and glory for us. The second thing that Jesus prepared himself with, which gave him the ability to do this, is he had a heart of mission. Not only did he have a heart of worship, he had a heart of mission. Jesus knew that his life was not just his own life, that he was not just going through some random set of experiences and then he was going to die and it's over. No, we were created for a purpose that our life has meaning that we are all unique, and there is something that God has put us on earth to do, that we are special to God, that we are unique, and we are valuable, and there is a purpose. Um, again, uh, we see uh, in John uh, chapter 12, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 24. And this is what Jesus says in John 12, verse uh, 24, Simon Peter, oh, I'm sorry, most assuredly I say to you, Jesus talking to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's, it's just dead. It's just a seed. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. You see, Jesus knew that, that he had a purpose, that he was a seed, that he had to fall to the ground and die. He had come to the earth to be the seed that would bring life to all of us. And so he saw this life as a purpose. We saw that in the scripture we read before. He said, for this reason have I come to earth uh, to, to call men unto me, uh, to give myself as a ransom, to save those which are lost. And so when it came down to it that now I'm faced with this hardship, am I just going to give up on my purpose? No, this is my purpose. And yes, it's going to be hard, but he had a heart that he knew what he was here for. And it is because of this, this focus on the purpose uh, and what the purpose was going to bring, he was able to make that decision. 
You see, he says we're the same way. Uh, that we are seeds that are being sown in this world. And if we are seeds just as Jesus are, then we have got to be willing to lay down our life so that God out of us can bring something beautiful. Now, we don't always know what that is. Uh, it says that, that we don't know what the, the, the end result of that seed is because the end result does not look like the seed. The seed looks totally different, and we don't see that, but the seed has to be broken open. You see, it has to fall to the ground, die, be broken, and begin to be transformed so that there would be a harvest, fruit that would come from it. You see, you have a purpose. Are you willing to let God produce a harvest through you? You may never see it. You're not going to see it right now. We have to be patient. We have to trust God that what God is doing in my life, I'm going to yield myself because I have a mission and I have a purpose. And I'm going to tell you here, the mission of God is always focused on other people. The mission of God is always going to be self-sacrificing so that we can produce a harvest in others. Maybe God is calling you uh, to go into some ministry. Uh, maybe God is calling you uh, to, to begin to even minister to those around you in your secular job. In fact, there is no secular job. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whether uh, uh, you're a janitor, in all of those places, God has placed you as a seed to, to bring growth. And it is only when we allow ourselves to be used by God, even when it's hard, when we set our heart on mission, God, what have you called me to? And let me begin to find my mission for you. When we begin to die to our purposes and simply live to God's agenda, then that agenda will always produce uh, results in our life. Here's the third thing, final thing. He had a heart of worship. He had a heart of mission, but here's the thing. He had a heart of prayer. He realized that all of these other things were not going to happen without a heart of prayer. Um, you notice that in every instant when he was sorrowful, it was in times of prayer. It says in the scripture that we read, it says that as he began to groan and plead with God, when the agony began to grow, it says his prayer intensified. In other words, when he began to worry more, he prayed harder. When he began to agonize more, he prayed deeper. Um, prayer was his strength. He realized that without prayer, we can do nothing. Because even though we have a heart of worship, and even though we have a heart of mission, we still cannot do it on ourselves. In our own strength, we cannot do it. But we need the presence of God. And that is a gift of prayer that God has given us. Uh, that when we begin to focus our heart in prayer, and prayer is not just some uh, 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 random words that we speak or some rote pattern um, that we just say over and over. Prayer is simply connecting with God and seeking God. It is simply opening our hearts and acknowledging God and the need for God and reaching out to him. Uh, whether it is in our mind or in our, our heart, but it is an active um, uh, submission to God and seeking uh, of God. It's not just a, a personal request, but it is a submission to God. In fact, this is the focus of Jesus' prayer. God, not my will, but thine. God, I'm having problems with my will, but I need to push it down. God, help me with my will that your will will be done. 
Prayer is always a battle with ourself. Prayer is about battling the things that always rise up within us, but it is a choice that God, in your strength, I'm going to push those down, and I, I pray that your will would be done. When we begin to pray, when we begin to connect with God, then it is less of me and more of him. And it is only then that we begin to be strengthened uh, by God. We notice that Jesus got up and he, he told his disciples, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. You see, no matter what, if we don't pray, if we don't have a routine of prayer, if we don't have a constant uh, familiarity with prayer, a submission of prayer, a humbleness of prayer, we will be tempted. We will fall to that temptation. And we will always give in without prayer. We need Jesus. We need the Lord. We cannot do it on ourselves. Jesus couldn't even do it on his own. We see throughout his ministry, he was constantly getting away for prayer. It would say in the morning, he went out to pray. In the evening, he went out to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, we need to pray. And yet, when he prayed, what did it bring? It brought resolve. It said he rose up with resolve uh, to, to, to drink the cup that God has given us. And so it is when we pray, um, we find confidence. But it is not self-confidence, it is God-confidence. You see, when we don't pray, we rise in self-confidence. Self-confidence is like Peter and all the other disciples that told Jesus, we will never betray you, Jesus. God, no, uh, no matter what happens, we'll be right there with you. But you see, that was out of a lack of prayer. That was a self. They had not unselfed their life. And until we unself our life, we will have that self-confidence. And we may think we're the greatest Christians and we believe in Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, it is until we humble ourselves and pray a humble prayer of, God, I cannot do this. God, your will be done, not mine. Then we can rise up with resolve, knowing that it is not us that's going to do it, but it is God is going to have his will. They fell. We know that, that when they took Jesus, it said they all ran away. Because they had not prepared themselves with a heart of prayer. And so today, we need to begin to prepare ourselves. First of all, with a heart of worship. Do we have a picture of who God is and do we treasure Him? We need to have a heart of mission. Do you know your purpose? Um, do you seek God? Do you ask Him to use you? Uh, do you begin to live a life of purpose for Him? more than for you and thirdly we need to have a heart of prayer are we willing to when we are tempted and when we are agonizing like jesus felt those things are we willing to fall before jesus and say god help me not my will but thine be done are we willing to do battle against ourselves in prayer in humility because when we do that god will lift us up and we will be able to reap the harvest that God has for us. And one day, one day we will stand before him and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. You see, when we, when we hear those words, it will be worth it. But we've got to start now. We've got to unself our life and begin to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray together.